welcome to episode 68 of Yins Are Good, the podcast that shares and celebrates all of the good stuff going on out there and all of those good people who are making that good stuff happen. I am your host, Tressa Glover, and thank you so much for joining me, joining us today on whatever day today is for you. I hope you're well. And I want to let you know right off the top here that today's episode, it's a special one, and we will be discussing suicide and suicide prevention. So please do take care while listening. And if you need help, it is available. There is the 988 Suicide and Crisis Lifeline that is available 24 hours a day. So let me explain to you more about this episode. So September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. I had the great pleasure of talking with folks from two different organizations, from two different groups, who are doing so much to help folks right here in the Pittsburgh area and beyond, I have no doubt, regarding this issue. So first up is the executive director of Allegheny County Medical Society, Sarah Hussey. And she's going to share information about how they are putting the self-care in healthcare, and specifically connected to this month and to September 17th, which is the day that this episode drops, which is Physician Suicide Awareness Day. And then you're going to hear from Todd and Elisa Wysong, who are the father and stepmother, or mother by marriage, as they like to say, of Katie Wysong. And they lost Katie in 2019 to suicide when she was only 15 years old. They have created the Positive Painting Project to help others, especially young people, and also to keep Katie's memory alive. So I really, it is my pleasure to share both of these conversations with you. And we are going to have Name That Neighborhood, Don waiting in the wings, as he is wont to do. And a reminder, please share with us your stories. Is there someone whom you're grateful for, someone you want to thank, an act of kindness that you experienced or that you witnessed any good things? That's what we're doing on this show, and we do want to hear from you. Or, as folks have done already, share with us, is there someone you want me to feature on the show? Email me, let me know all about it. That email is yinsaregood at gmail.com. So we're going to get right into the show here again. Thank you so much for being here. Let's get to the good stuff. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for being here. And I, can we just start if you'd like to, you know, introduce yourself and sure. if you can tell us what the Allegheny County Medical Society is. Sure. Uh, my name is Sarah Hussey. I am, yes, Hussey, like that is my last name. My husband, <laughs> that's my, that is my married name. For a very long time, I went by Sarah Albert, which was my maiden name. But um, when I took on this new job, I finally 
took the plunge and took his last name after 10 years. Um, <laughs> so yes, I am the executive director of the Medical Society. And just for you know ease, I'll refer to it as ACMS, Allegheny okay. County Medical. It's just easier than going through it every time. Um, so the Allegheny County Medical Society, it is the professional association for physicians in Allegheny County. So we were founded in 1865. So just a really long, really cool history uh, in the medical world in Allegheny County. Right now we have about 2,500 members in the county. So Hmm. made up of physicians, residents, fellows, medical students, uh, some retired physicians, the whole gamut from start to end of career. And we're also tied to the Pennsylvania Medical Society through membership. Mm. Uh, but we, we are, we are, we're our, our own 501c6 organization organization. So we operate independently without, with or without that collaboration. And so uh, just to talk a little bit too about, you know, I think people a lot of times ask me what our elevator pitches and, and what we do at mm. the medical society, I would say, you know, our connection with the state allows us to, we provide a lot of advocacy work for physicians. So going to Harrisburg, constantly working with state government to make sure that we're advocating for all of the things that are really important to physicians across the state. But certainly my main priority and concern is with physicians in Allegheny County. I think a lot of times we can recognize that Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are kind of the two coasts. And then in between, there's a lot of different things that happen. So advocating for the things that happen specifically in this region um, is a big part of what we do. Um, and then we just do, you know, events and networking and educational training. And, and we just try to take the grunt work away from the physicians. They are very busy saving lives. So we're here to listen to them and hear what changes they want to see. And we, we run with it and do the best we can. Wow. What is some of that advocacy work? Like, what are some examples so for example, uh, actually really interesting right now, we have a, in, in Pittsburgh, we have a physician who is running for a open state house seat. Uh, his da- name is Arvind Venkat, and he's a physician and it would be the first physician in modern times. I don't know why they call it modern times. I'm not really sure to serve on. <laughs> um, uh, I know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's modern and what's not, but exactly. Just, what's the just, cutoff just, exactly? Yeah. yeah. 1865 or are we talking like 1980? Um, But he, uh, so just for for example, the things that he would bring to the table as a physician, there are things that happen in um, the big hospital systems. We we do a lot with things that are called restrictive covenants or contract agreements, non-compete contracts. Our physicians are, you know, really trying to advocate for themselves in terms of, of where they're bound to when they sign that initial contract out of medical school, or should they sell their practice? Um, there's not a ton of regulation around that. So I think there is a great opportunity for awareness around that in Harrisburg. And, you know, our, having a physician in the legislature would be really helpful for that. Mm-hmm. And it would have been really helpful over the last almost three years now to have a physician voice at the table. We, we didn't have that in Harrisburg. So we had all of these people making decisions about, about COVID and vaccinations and creating um, you know, all of these declarations without having experts at the table per se. Certainly they solicited the advice of, of many medical professionals, but 
Um, you know, I think where we step in from the medical society and then also advocating for, you know, physicians to serve in the legislature is to, to really push for some of those things that not only impact physicians directly, things like restrictive covenants, but mm -hmm. also can impact public health and can and could have possibly changed some of the mistrust and perception around a lot of the things that happened um, throughout the last couple of years. Gosh, absolutely. And so can we talk a little now about um, a campaign that you're in the middle of yeah. regarding mental health? And, and I'll just let you kind of take the ball and run with it, so to speak. But sure. uh, to tell us Thanks. about yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot that goes into this. Um, so September 17th is Physician Suicide Awareness Day. So it's a day that is set aside um, to really reflect on all of the things that are happening in the healthcare profession. Pre-COVID, mental health, um, all of those things that come along with being a very busy we all, we all know doctors work, you know, a lot of hours and they've done a lot of things over the last couple of years, but even pre COVID, there was a lot of this, you know, burnout that was happening. Physicians being worked really hard, changing landscape for them. And I think that has really had an impact on their mental health. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing staggering numbers. Um, you know, I could go on and on with stats, but physician suicide has become so much more prevalent, especially over the last three years. Um, mm -hmm. We're seeing physicians who are just unable to cope. They are sleep deprived, which is also, you know, a very important thing for mental health. I think that we are really just looking for ways to continue to create awareness around how staggering it is that these physicians are struggling so significantly because we think of physicians as being just these really strong, resilient people and they are, but they're seeing a lot. They have seen a lot. They have been through a lot, not only in the last three years, but you know, over a very long period of time, the landscape has just changed so significantly for some of them. So the origins of the campaign that we're working on right now, I was at a meeting in June, where we were talking about some ideas around creating awareness around uh, Physician Suicide Awareness Day, and you know the conversation get, just kept getting very dark. Um, mm. Should we should we send letters out to them, letting them know more about uh, what what the stats are around suicide? And and I don't know, just to me thinking about getting a letter in the mail, reading more about my colleagues and the, and the struggles, while important felt like there was maybe a better opportunity there or a different take on it. Mm. Um, my thought was like, why don't we become part of the solution? I teach at a few fitness studios in the North Hills where I live. And I personally know there are so many, you know, physicians, nurses, pharmacists, healthcare professionals who come to classes to help them cope with stress, uh, to just deal with anxiety, to honestly just take an hour of time for themselves. And I also know that there are discounts on memberships um, for, for those types of professionals. Mm -hmm. So it got me thinking like, there have to be other places that offer discounts like this to professionals who work in the healthcare systems. So my team and I at the Medical Society, we started really working. And alongside also, we have a really great marketing group. I got to give them a shout out, the Corcoran Collective. Um, they've yes. been really instrumental in this. Jordan and her team are awesome. They're we, amazing. Yeah, They're the best. They're the best. <laughs> We started pulling together and ca contacting uh, local businesses in Allegheny County that we hoped would partner with us. 
and whether they had an already existing discount for medical professionals or they were interested in maybe creating one either for forever or even for just the month of September. We just thought it would be a really great way to share opportunities for physicians to cope with the stress and to find an outlet. And it's not just fitness studios, it's, you know, place like the spa or a painting studio, or even mm. just sounds so silly, but a discount on your cell phone service, ways to just save some money, events that we can have. And so there's just a lot of things that we felt, okay, we will reserve space on September 17th to share those stats and to share all of the things that are happening with their colleagues and their peers and ways that they can get help if they need it and when they need it. But for the rest of the month, let's be intentional about providing solutions. Um, mm. And just a major shout out to so many businesses in Allegheny County. I, I was just blown away by the generosity and the connection that they felt to healthcare workers. And we've just got, we've got so much to, to share through September. Mm. I just love that. Yeah. I'm really excited about it. And just, yeah, Pittsburgh's awesome. People have been great. <laughs> so much, so much support. And I've been able to meet some cool people, like cool restaurant owners and, and really great, um, you know, organizations that are stepping up to, to kind of answer our call for support. And is there, is there anything, and maybe it is connected to that, the, the folks that you've met, the businesses, restaurants, but is there anything that has surprised you either that way or with any of the information that you've gathered or physicians that you've spoken with about this in particular? Well, I was just blown away at how easy it was to get yeses from businesses. We sent emails and people responded and so many of them, you know, already had great things that they were doing. So honestly, for some of them, it was like, heck yeah, I'll have you promote my business and share my discount. But alongside of that, all of them were just giving us gift cards or telling us ways that, you know, could we, could we continue to collaborate going forward, which I thought is a real testament to how they feel about healthcare workers. Um, I was also surprised at some of the no's, you know, there's a lot of places that we called and they, they weren't into it. And I thought, huh, well, when you see this campaign and maybe (laughs) next year, um, Because I think sometimes, you know, it can feel like a sales pitch and I get that. We, we don't exist. Allegheny County Medical Society does not exist to be a salesperson or, you know, we're not asking for advertising dollars or anything like that. This is solely a goodwill member benefit, not even member benefit because any healthcare worker and any physician who, you know, engages with us on social media is eligible to win some of the prizes or take advantage of these discounts. So it's really not a member benefit, but it's just something that we want to do. Um, but I was also surprised a little bit by, I guess, and I shouldn't have been, how good this project made me feel um, mm-hmm. and my team. It is something that we have just been so invigorated by. We love talking about it. I know whenever we talk to the team at the Corcoran Collective, we have just such a great time. We laugh, we brainstorm. Um, it's just been a really feel-good project for us at a point when I think that we are thinking about this September 17th day and we constantly have that in the back of our minds, it's good to feel good about the thing that we're doing to help support um, the physicians in our area. And hopefully, you know, maybe physicians all around the state because they'll still have access to this information too. So. Mm -hmm. 
and probably beyond that as you know word gets out about it right and as people you know word of mouth oh I think so I I think so. so it's just I thank you so much for that you're doing this. And oh, thank you. I mean, it's really, it's so important. Now, if there, so a couple of, if, if there are some listeners or even what, maybe when you, what you were just talking about, maybe someone's listening, who's like, Ooh, we could help or sponsor or whatever it is. Is there, would they get in touch with you? If yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have a page on our website, which is acms.org. So very simple website. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a page on our what's new page that is all about this campaign and the awareness that we're doing around physician suicide awareness day. Um, and so my contact information is on that page. My team's contact information is on that page so they can reach out to any of us and follow us on social media because we also answer DMS or messages from all of the you know Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, we're, we're active on all of those. So there's so many ways to get in touch with us. And, you know, we look forward to growing this year over year as something that's really um, something that connects our physicians to their community and vice versa. Yeah. And so if, and again, connected to, you know, anyone listening, as far as since, you know, we are talking about suicide, suicide awareness, if there's anyone listening who might need some help, are there I know that specifically, you know, you're dealing with physicians, but are there any resources that you've, you've come across as well? Yeah, we were, I hate to, I I don't like to use the word excited about this, but Mm. there's the new suicide prevention direct line, you know, obviously 911 exists and that's great, but 988 was launched this year, just a couple of weeks ago, actually. And that is a direct line to, um, you know, suicide crisis hotline getting you in touch with people. A really interesting story that I heard a couple weeks ago was someone was um, telling me that they had received a phone call from a family member who was literally on the brink of committing suicide. And they were in Chicago and he was in North Carolina. And this person called him and was telling him this. So he, and the person hung up the phone. And, you know, of course, in that moment, you're panicking. He called 911, like, what else do you do? And there was nothing that 911 could do. In in North Carolina to Chicago, you know, they were like, well, you got to call the local in that moment, the Mm. thought of how do I call, how do I get a hold of which Chicago, you know, I don't know what to do here and how much time do I have? So I think that that 988, um, that number is just going to be so crucial going forward. And there's still a lot of awareness to go around it, but it connects people right with a crisis person who can get them connected to the right place, the right people to hopefully save the day um, and get things back into a place where this person can not only, you know, be helped in that moment, but they get them in the process of getting treatment for what they're going through. Um, so that's a really great resource for just anybody, not, not just, um, and just to like make that story feel good. The person is still alive. So mm. um, we, yeah, it didn't end badly. It ended, it ended while she, he got in touch with, the daughter-in-law and they, they worked it all out. But for physicians specifically, um, you know, we we have a really great resource with the Pennsylvania, uh, the Pennsylvania medical society. Um, they have what is called, it's, it's a special program that is created for physicians that it's the physician's health program. And that provides support, um, to physicians, not only struggling with mental health, but also substance abuse order. Um, that is something that is 
more prominent than you would think in the medical profession, behavioral concerns, things that allow them to move forward and continue to choose and practice their profession safely. Um, so that's, that information is on our website as well. And I think what's great about that is that it provides a confidential space for physicians. That's one of the biggest stigmas and concerns with physicians is I don't want to go through my uh, my employer to get this help that I, I'm needing because I don't want them to know that I'm struggling. Um, yeah. So so that resource is, is external. It's a nationally recognized program uh, and it really provides physicians with the support they need without them having to feel like someone is going to know what they've got going on. Mm. And are there any, um, I don't know, through all of this, the work you've been doing and the people you've met and are there any conversations or or interactions you've had regarding mental health, perhaps, <laughs> that that still kind of resonate with you or that really stick in your mind? Well, specifically related to physicians, which is the world I'm just so deep in right now. I read this quote and I wrote it down and I have it written on like my notes for the month because it kind of keeps my brain in the right direction is that like healthcare workers and physicians, they aren't quitting because they can't handle their jobs. They're fully capable of handling their jobs. They've been trained, they've been educated. A lot of them are quitting and leaving the profession because they can't handle being unable to do their jobs. And for so many of them, the last couple of years have been a little bit stifling. Mm -hmm. um, it's been really eye-opening to me since I started at ACMS, how much they are struggling. I have a lot of friends and family who work in the healthcare profession. And so I know anecdotally just some of the things that they go through but things that we might not even think about as triggers, but in conversations with so many of the members and my physician members, things like the constant changes that are coming from health insurers and changes in guidance from the CDC. They're busy people, right? They're busy doctors. They have so much to do. Trying to also keep up with all of those things is so challenging. Mm -hmm. And they're the, they're the people that can't make the wrong decision because it truly could be life or death. So there's that stress, right? And then mm -hmm. there's the stress from COVID-19. There is all of that stuff that happened during the pandemic that the way that they have been treated over the last few years, there's this mistrust of the medical field that exists within still a lot of people, mm -hmm. the battle over vaccinations, the battle over treatments for COVID. I mean, it's just, it's been exhausting for physicians to constantly have to defend themselves and, and the science behind what is happening in the world. And then just, you know, and this is just a note to anybody to a reminder, I guess, is to be kind, because I think our physicians have felt like they are getting oftentimes the short end of the stick. They are being yelled at by patients. They are getting phone calls. Their front staff, front of house staff, their people answering the phones are getting yelled at by patients, hmm. um, getting calls, you know, around the vaccination time, asking for waivers and it's just treat them, treat them well, because they are not doing things in any way, shape or form to be a hindrance to anybody. They just want to help people. And so I think for them, it's been very hard to kind of deal with the backlash when all they're trying to do is help. Um, and those mm -hmm. are the sort of things that just really impacted me as wow, like there are so many triggers that I would have never thought about. I just thought, wow, they're working long hours and not getting a ton of sleep. And of course, like having to be around patients with COVID and worrying about getting sick, right? Those are mm -hmm. the front facing things that we all saw, but mm -hmm. 
but there's so much more behind and so many layers to what they're dealing with as physicians. Hmm. Thank you for that. Be kind. <laughs> be kind. Yeah. Just be kind. Oh, I thank you so much for chatting. And and is there anything else you wanted to to mention to our no. listeners? Or yeah, I mean, I think I don't think so. This was great. It was just great chatting with you. And I I really just appreciate the opportunity for me to speak on this initiative. We're uh, we're calling it putting the self care in healthcare, uh, which of course our team came up with, and it's so creative and catchy and cute. Uh, but it's really, it's really great. And if there are any physicians or healthcare workers that are listening, please just take September, even if it's this month and you just decide that one day in September, one hour, whatever it is, 20 Mm -hmm. minutes, you download headspace for whatever the discount is that we can give you and you meditate, whatever it is, just find a little bit of time for some self-care this month where we can support, where we can help. We want to continue to do that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, hi, Tressa. How are you? Hi, good. How are you? Hi, Tressa. Yeah, we're good. It's, it's a, it was a busy day. It was an early start to the day. Today is actually the World Suicide Awareness Day, um, September 10th. And it was also the Out of the Darkness Walk, which happens in Pittsburgh once, and, and a lot of places, but in Pittsburgh once a year. Um, and it's to promote suicide awareness. And it really is people walk um, in honor of, of someone that they've lost. And they announced today that there were 2,300 registered people today. So that's a lot. It affects a lot of people. It certainly does. And And I didn't know what are the chances that that we would talk today. I know. Yeah. I'm so grateful to both of you for, for sharing your time with me today and, and to talk with me. So how, how are you both doing, especially after the, how your day has been so far? Um, you know what? Uh, we walked last year and it was right after we had lost Katie. It was very powerful. Many of her friends came, our friends, friends of, you know, our family. And it, it was pretty powerful. And this, this year I decided to volunteer instead. Todd was working. So um, I decided to volunteer and I've been volunteering with the, well, we've been volunteering with the AFSP for about a year now. And you know what? It's helpful and it's inspiring that there are supports and that there is hope and that that's what, you know, the, the foundation really focuses on is, is, you know, a world without suicide. So finding, doing research, you know, finding approaches that, that help. Yeah. So it's, it's an honor to be a part of that. And, and yeah, I find it inspiring. It is very moving and, um, and sad um, in some ways. Yeah. It's a great event. It really is. And uh, yeah, I think over 2,300 people uh, is, I was thinking while she was talking about it is both uh, wonderful and horrifying at the same time. Uh, mm-hmm. How many people are, uh, are are touched by losing someone to suicide, mental health issues, and there's we're both pretty adamant that there's a lot more we could be doing to address mental health issues. Mm-hmm. Absolutely agree with that. And, and on the show, the the wonderful folks I've gotten to meet who are working 
in mental health and with me- mental health for that re- very reason as well. That how you know how much work there is to be done and and how many people need help and how best to get it to them. And uh, and when you were talking along the lines of there being hope and and learning, is there anything that you could share with our listeners or anything along those lines as far as some things that you have learned, be it by getting together with others who have also lost a loved one or, you know, maybe something others have just shared with you? Uh, I mean, the most important thing we feel is uh, reach out, ask for help, find that someone who understands uh and sometimes that takes a little bit of work but there's there and it may surprise you who it ends up being but there is someone who you mean a lot to and who understands and uh and and find a way to talk about it um well one of the things i just wanted to jump in and you know to address your question um one of the things that we've found over and over again and we've been doing we've done quite a few events we have a bunch coming up it's it's really I, i'm not sure surprising overwhelming um <laughs> the popularity of the of, and and the spread of the project but one of the things that we find over and over again is that when we share other people share and that's mm. really it I and mean, we decided we were going to talk about it we talk about it we talk about katie and other people it share with us some some very personal things, but it's reducing the stigma, right? So mm-hmm. we, we are normalizing that conversation, mm-hmm. at least when we're involved in the conversation, we normalize it and 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 people share and and feel good, I think, about sharing. Mm-hmm. When when you hear from others and you realize, okay, it's not I, I'm not alone in this, you know, that there can be folks that you can talk to, to share, to listen, and that it, it takes away, I think, that isolation. Yeah, and I feel like that's a really big part of it. Uh, there's, if you're, if you have a doctor's appointment or a dentist appointment, you, and someone were to call you on the way home, you would say, I'm on the way home from the doctor or the dentist. But if you were on your way home from therapy and your friend were to call you, I think all too often we say we were at the doctor or the dentist. Uh, and there's, mm. there are reasons behind that. Uh, it's because of the stigma with mental health and it needs to come down. It needs to be something that we talk about more. And when that becomes a lot more socially acceptable, instead of, uh, I, a lot of people feeling that, well, you're in therapy, what is wrong with you? You, you know, it, it's a, to me, it's the same as, we, you know, why did you go to the gym today? What's wrong with you? You're actually, you know, taking care of yourself. Uh, by by doing these things, and uh, by and the the biggest weapon against that stigma is just talking about it and normalizing it. And and Elisa is absolutely right. It's amazing how when you open up, that they open up. And I think a big part of it is when you open up to someone else about your mental health. You're not just telling them about your issues. You're also telling them that you're someone that they can talk to about this. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's and and I've said it on the show before um, several times that we all are a lot more alike than we are different, mm-hmm. and it's only by talking and listening to each other that we really learn that. You know, that's when you re- it's it's opening up, it's sharing 
our stories, sharing what's going on. And then that's right. Connections really are made that way. Absolutely. And it, it reminds me, Tressa, of a mm-hmm. recent podcast that you did um, with our dear friend, Don. Um, oh my, yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, talking about how you, you ask someone how they are and they answer that question honestly, which is, you know, it, you, it takes you back like, uh, oh, <laughs> right. We, we, we need to be honest. It's okay to not be okay sometimes. Um, yes. And sharing that allows people to, to support you. Mm-hmm. Can you, and, and you mentioned that you, when you have your events or in general, when you're talking to folks that, that you talk about Katie. And so could you tell us about her and, and how the Positive Painting Project grew? Uh, well, those, uh, those are two different questions, but uh, okay. yeah, we'll start. I mean, as far as Katie, uh, uh, she just had a very thoughtful, gentle demeanor about her. Uh, she always did well, from when she was a baby. She was pretty typically quiet around strangers or in groups, but if you knew her and, and, mm-hmm. and, and she was comfortable around you, she was very quick-witted and she just had a, this huge laugh that could fill up a room. Uh, she adored animals. Uh, above all, though, I mean, it was art that uh, she really loved. She just had the true soul of an artist and the talent to match. And she often used that as a way, as her preferred method of expressing herself. Uh, over, and she would journal sometimes. And uh, you know, we were very adamant about her seeing therapists and talking. And there's only so many things that uh, a teenager is willing to talk to their parents about. It's important to be able to let them, to give them that other outlet, another adult, uh, and preferably a trained adult, for them to speak with uh, occasionally. A safe place to put it. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much how the project began. It was, uh, she... Uh, struggle. Uh, she was diagnosed with uh, major depression when, at the end of her seventh grade year, went on struggling with it, but but being treated with a lot of support. For, yeah, with a lot of support, and uh, and once uh, she was educated on depression and treated, uh, she she really liked leaning into helping others who maybe didn't have the same tools as she did. Uh, she was proud of what she had learned. Uh, through it was the star program at Western Psych, which is a wonderful program to give a shout mm-hmm. out right now. It's uh, it really uh, it really turned her around for that time. But and after being diagnosed with depression, she uh, was quite the advocate for mm-hmm. mental health, uh, especially among her friends. Helping others helped her a lot, and she wanted others to know that they're not alone, to know that they're loved and important and that they matter and she had that support and she she know she knew that not everyone had the kind of support that she had so she she wanted to share that mm-hmm. you know she, uh, she would post things on social media you are everything to someone you are enough uh was one of the quotes that really stuck with me after uh losing her uh the project was her idea to begin with she was helping a friend through a, a i guess a rough time in one of the restrooms at uh, her, at, at that point, it was her middle school, and uh, when she was in eighth grade now, and she came upon an article later uh, that of uh, a place that had like painted the walls and the stall doors and stuff in the restroom, uh, telling kids, you know, positive messages that you matter and 
you know, ask, you're beautiful, you're beautiful and ask for help, and ask for help, and all these messages. And she sent it to her uh, middle school art teacher, uh, who was uh, Nancy Goldberg at Dorseyville Middle School in Fox Chapel, and I think to one of her counselors. And uh, they wrote back, "That's a great idea. We should totally do this." And uh, before it could ever come to fruition, though, COVID hit and schools closed down and it just never got a chance to happen for her. So our goal now is we're just carrying on uh, what she started. Her vision, yeah. I have so many thoughts now just about as you're speaking of her and, and sharing all of this. And honestly, the my heart is just going out to you. Um, because I, I can't imagine um, all that you're going through and, and have been through in year, um, what, maybe a year and a half. Is that right? Today, Is it in March? A year and a half, actually. Today. Okay. Months, exactly. Yeah. Well, well, so the fact that this is a project that she really began and was, you know, had in mind. And when we're talking about it and just, and to give our listeners even a, a more specific idea of it. How does it work, so to speak? Well, with schools, with events, with, you know, festivals, what we do is we ask people to paint a background, you know, something that is moving to them. And the mindfulness of painting is really good for our mental health, right? And Mm -hmm. then with the Positive Painting Project, we take them, we screen print them with um, our different phrases. We have six different positive messages. And then those paintings that were good for your mental health become good for other people's mental health makes sense to me (laughs) and and so those and I know that um that you had mentioned some you said you said there are six all together there are yeah um and let's see (laughs) we always forget one Um, (laughs) rattling them off it's you matter yes you are not alone it's okay to not be okay never ever give up hold on to hope and no feeling is final. Mm. You know, they're stylized so that it's almost, it's our logo by one of her other, one of the other middle school art teachers who came on board. And we really put together a team when we talked about what, what could we do, Tressa, right? What could we do to make some meaning of, of what we went through, what we're still, what we're always going to be going through? How can we make something from that? And, you know, reaching out to her original middle school art teacher, uh, Nancy, and then Nancy brought in another art art teacher, Mackenzie, Mackenzie Seymour. And so Mackenzie was able to, to do all those for us and, and create those messages in a way that's that's pretty inspiring and mm-hmm. um, beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and is this something where would different schools reach out to the project and say, we'd like to have these? Um, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, we started, we reached out obviously to her middle school and to her, and to the high school saying, Hey, you know, this is something we'd like to do. And I thought I was going to have to go to the school board and, you know, and mm-hmm. I, yeah. And, and I, reached out and emailed the, the middle school principal. And he said, I think it's a terrific idea. Let us know what we can do to help. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and yeah. So kind of speechless and okay, let's, let's get this moving. And then mm. 
um, the high school principal also. Uh, our community here, um, the school community, our, our general community has supported us and lifted us up and um, really we're so, so thankful for that. And especially school, you know, Dr. Howard, Dr. Nahaus, and, and the assistant principals too, all the administration just really jumped in to, to support and to encourage us and to, to, you know, make this happen for our school. And I don't know how it started. Other schools started reaching out. We, we were talking about it. We, um, you know, showed friends and friends and I'm a teacher, so teacher friends and uh, some of the teachers from the schools uh, shared it with other teachers from other schools. And so now, yeah, schools are, are reaching out to us and saying, hey, we really, we want to do this. So really, the only school we reached out to was the very beginning of our local school, you know, our, our mm-hmm. district here. And since then, it's just spread. Yeah, that was the original plan. Uh, this was Katie's vision to put these up in her middle school and uh, so, you know, we sort of brainstormed on how to make that happen. We held events uh, at a couple local community spaces. One was at a uh, Second Harvest, which is a thrift store down in Sharpsburg. The next one was uh, at an, an event in Aspenwall in that June was uh, Pride in the Park. And uh, I believe Aetna Art Tour was the following one. So we kind of hit, you know, just our community, the area where we knew people sort of already knew a little bit of the story sometimes. And, uh, but it, what we want is for the paintings that are created to be created by the kids that will see them mm-hmm. uh, so that they'll see their own. Even if it's a, an elementary school kid painting, the idea when you explain it to them saying, Hey, this is going to go up in the middle school. And once you get, once you get to Dorseyville middle school, you may see your painting up on a wall somewhere. And, mm. uh, and they love the idea. Yeah, it's that ownership that's really made it, um, I think, powerful for for kids. And, you know, I'm listening to, to the interview with Don and something that he and I and Todd have talked about quite a bit is um, that sense of community, right? So our, the paintings started at the schools, but now they're, they're here in the community center. They're in the library. We have a, a meeting soon with a, another local library. Um, they're in some restaurants and uh, where else? I, at so many places in the community. So the kids are going to school. They're seeing these messages. They're pretty iconic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they go into the library and they're there. And, and Dawn really inspired us and started to really, for us to start thinking about how do we get this message into our community as well as into schools? Um, he, he's inspired a lot of people and a lot of people, but, um, yeah, I, I particularly, uh, like with his elementary school kids, I, I love what he did with, uh, you know, we said that they go up into the schools and community spaces, uh, but what he took it sort of a step further and actually had his, uh, stu- a lot, some of his students walk around that cause it's a walkable community over in Carnegie, uh, walk around the community and deliver these, th- these, these paintings that they had finished to the local libraries, to the local community spaces. So there's this whole advocacy and uh, act of service that goes with it as well, which is very much a value for Elisa and I, and was a very much a value for Katie as well. Hmm. And it is, it's truly, it's, there's so many levels to it that are bringing people together. So be it 
sharing their personal stories or sharing, you know, with each other, but then literally going through and now in more and more places in the community, you know, looking at the artwork and then seeing the message and putting that, but just layers of bringing people together in different ways. How needed it is, is so clear. Yeah, it was, it's humbling. Uh, yeah, I had no idea that it, we knew. impact. Just the idea of her, of Katie still being able to touch the lives of other people with her message uh, 18 months after she's gone mm -hmm. and still going is, I can't even begin to explain how much that means to us. Yeah, spe speechless is a, mm. that word before. And, and really there's, yeah, there aren't words to, to describe what that feels like. And I think we're in 17 schools and 14 districts now. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my! <laughs> All told, we've screen printed probably two thousand, at least two thousand <gasps> canvases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, it's just so. It's uh, I think about too how many of those people who will see them, and we won't ever, you know, you won't ever know specifically how it helped or how it changed, you know, them. Who knows on that day that they saw it or if they are in school and they see it every day, what that does for them. Yeah. What a wonderful gift that you're giving. Could you tell us a little bit about, because um, you have a, a scholar, the, the Katie Wysong Scholarship for the Arts. And then you also, I noticed this uh, on your website that you have a call for artists going on. Yeah. Um, so the scholarship is, we've been able, thanks to our generous donations, to be able to sponsor, as of right now, eight students um, in, in that middle school age range uh, for uh, extracurricular art classes. They're recommended and chosen by either the, the art teachers or um, and guidance counselors kind of in, together. So students who wouldn't otherwise be able to access that, that art enrichment and, and allowing them to, you know, like Katie, I mean, we, we were able to give her that opportunity and, and a lot of parents aren't. And a lot of kids just don't have access to that. So we're making sure that that happens. Our, our, kids, were, our kids were always fortunate to have that opportunity to enrich, whether it be music or art or whatever their passion was. And as I said, Katie often used that as a method of expressing herself. And I don't know that she would have discovered that had she not had these extra opportunities to become better as an artist. And uh, I used to, uh, I always tell a story, I used to walk past her while she was drawing or doing digital art on the computer or anything. And I would just say, you are, you are so talented. And she would almost get mad at me and say, <laughs> she said, it's not just talent. I work really hard to get this good. And she was right, but it was both. I could have worked twice as long uh, yeah, and twice as hard and as she did and not been half as good as she was. Uh, so it, what we're trying to do is what we want to do is to expand those opportunities to other kids who might not have that opportunity, wouldn't otherwise have that opportunity. Uh, there's a lot of single parents. There's a lot of families that just don't uh, that, that don't have those means and that's not really fair uh, sometimes those are the kids sometimes that need it more than anyone else mm. the power that 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 form of expression 
gives a person, you know, the outlet, the, just all of the freedoms that are, that, that come along with it. Yeah. And to go back to, you know, like we said, the mindfulness of painting, yes, with the, the project, but the mindfulness of art. Um, and like I said, it, it really was a way that she expressed herself. I think it's a lot, it's a, a way that a lot of kids, especially that age, I mean, we really do focus on that middle school age because sometimes that's where, you know, a lot of those feelings and a lot of, uh, there's a lot going on for them at that point and, and finding an outlet for that and a way to express that is so important. It's a difficult transition. The, the mm. moving from elementary, the, the life of an elementary school kid to the life of a middle school kid. Putting yourself in a small group of other people that enjoy art like you do for once a week hopefully can make a difference for some of these uh, kids. And the call for artists. So um, yes. in conjunction with Nancy, uh, who owns a, a, a local gallery or who runs a, a local gallery, Ketchup City Creative, we worked with her and came up with an idea that we're asking local artists to really, to, to paint canvases like we ask schools, you know, students, and we ask festival goers and, and the community in general, but we're asking local artists. We have some amazing artists here in Sharpsburg. It, you know, we call it the Triborough right here on this side of town, but all over Pittsburgh. Oh my goodness. So mm-hmm. we're asking them to create those canvases for us so that we can screen print them and use as a fundraiser. And it's, it's so neat because each of them have a different style. We have, you know, graffiti artists and uh, watercolor and collage and, and so forth. Since this started, we've had several local artists reach out to us and saying, hey, hey please reach out if there's anything I can do to help your project. Uh, and not just artists. We, you know, we've had oh, goodness, uh, you everyone. Know, accountants, copywriters, <laughs> and, you know, people that uh, you wouldn't really expect that have been very, very helpful through this process. Uh, I mean, yeah. uh, Neither Elisa or I are uh, business-oriented uh, people. I run a power plant. Elisa's a, a, a teacher of the blind and uh, formerly a teacher of the deaf as well. And uh, it's been, this whole thing has been very much community-driven from the beginning. Uh, as long it has as, a life of its own now. Yeah. It really has mm. a life of its own, and we're just along for the ride. And um, Yeah. And the longer it goes, the more people Katie's reaching, uh, her message is reaching, and it's really been nice, a nice part of this. Mm. So for for any of this and for folks who are listening and, and want to learn more or want to help or, uh, you know, if, if you ever need volunteers or artists who are listening who are saying, oh, my gosh, count me in. How do I do that? You know, how do I how do I do this? Where can um, people go to, to learn more? At pretty much everything. And like you said, you know, our call for artists, hopefully we have some artists listening and mm-hmm. you know, they would be interested. But um, our website, paintpositive.org, really connects it all, you know, brings it all together. What, we, what we're about, what we're doing, how to contact us. And we're always looking for help. And we have these events, lots of running and, you know, getting paints together. There's, there's lots of opportunities. Uh, the screen printing, when we screen print, I mean, two sessions ago, we screen printed 600 canvases. So, yeah. <laughs> so we can always use um, extra sets of hands to do that. Yeah. If, if anybody's interested in bringing it to their school or to their business or 
community center or whatever it is, um, that's definitely the way, the best way to contact us and, and to get more information. This really has just been such an honor to, to speak with you. And, and just, again, thank you for sharing your time and then for, again, just how many folks you are helping oh. every day. Well, Tressa, thank you so, so very much for, for thinking of us and um, for inviting us on and, and, and helping us share the story. It's my pleasure. I'm sorry. If I can just add one more thing. Uh, the way in which Katie lived in this world and the lives she touched and continues to with this project, we feel means a lot more than how she left this world. But neither should be forgotten. And it's important to look at it. This happened. A bright, funny, seemingly happy girl with her whole life in front of her ended her own life just 11 days after her 15th birthday because her depression took hold and seized its opportunity. And it's important for parents to understand that nobody thinks this could ever happen to them. How could any parent even think that? It, it does happen though. And sometimes you do everything and it still happens. So the point being, talk to your kids about suicide, anyone who's listening. Use this interview as an excuse. Hey, I heard this podcast today. Uh, and I, It made me think, is everything okay? It, you never know when your child is sitting alone with these feelings and it's important to initiate that conversation with them. I feel when I look back, I feel a lot of times, you know, you're uncomfortable with it. Well, a lot of that's the stigma, but it's, we feel an extremely important topic for all parents to address with their kids. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hello there, Don. Hello there, Tressa. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine. And yourself? <laughs> I'm good. Good. I'm good. Thank you. I'm feeling very grateful for my conversation with Todd and Elisa and to have them on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And now, are you ready? I know, I gotta say it, I think uh, Hazel is ready. Yes, she's uh, <laughs> next to us. I think she's more ready to play with her ball oh, than yeah. she is for what's about to happen. We're getting some glares, I'm not gonna lie. We're mm -hmm. getting some glares that mm -hmm. uh, we have decided not to play with her at this moment in time. Incredulous. Yes, very good, very good. But we, we have to bring the people, name that neighborhood. It's what they want, Hazel. Yeah. It's what they want. Yeah. So we're going to do that. And, Don, there are only three statements of fact. <gasps> what? You're welcome. Thank you. Uh, would you like to hear your neighborhoods of choice? There's nothing at this moment in time that I would like to hear more. <laughs> Etna. Etna. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Or Fox Chapel. The Chapel of Foxes. Indeed. Okay. Now, if memory serves, uh, this is the first time. Oh, and now. <laughs> the cat. Freckles the cat Freckles is the cat here. Freckles the cat is here. Okay. Good. Thank you. You may um. hear them in the background, <laughs> listeners. We're just going to, we're going to forge ahead. <laughs> oh, my. Well, they're talking. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Um, and maybe she's going to help you. So if you have oh, any, good. yeah, phone of freckles. Um, it, now, if memory serves, uh-huh. phone of freckles. If memory serves, this is the first time for Fox Chapel. Really? I think. Now, I mean, uh, yeah. Rarely does memory serve, though. Oh, <laughs> oh. you're a treat. <clears throat> memory more more likely volleys <laughs> than serves. Well, look at you. Someone came ready to play in more than one way. Hmm. Uh, but I know Etna has been on mm-hmm. at least once before. Sure. But um, But those are your options this day. All right. Are you ready for it? As ready as I will ever be this day. (laughs) Number one. The headquarters of the Audubon Society of Western Pennsylvania can be found in this neighborhood. Audubon, and not like the uh, speed limitless road in Germany? Uh, no, no. My belief it is the A-U-D-U-B-O-N. Got as it. in birds. Birds. <laughs> the Chapel of Foxes. Hooray! Fox <laughs> Chapel it is. What are you going to pick? Fox Chapel. <laughs> oh, let me tell you more about it. I wish you would. Uh-huh. So, we're going to call it the ASWP. Hmm. Uh, That's easy you know, for you to say. It sure is. So, it is true. So, um, the society manages and operates five miles of trails and 134 acres of sanctuary at Beechwood Farms Nature Reserve. How do they keep them away from the foxes, though? I think you should send them an email and mm-hmm. ask them that question, Don. Okay. Uh, and its facilities also include educational classrooms, a nature store, and a natural history library. Hmm. Now, a little bit of history on Beechwood Farms itself. So, the property was originally acquired in 1903 by State Senator William Flynn, and he was one of Allegheny County's most powerful politicians. Sure, he even got a highway named after himself. Look at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you trying for bonus points here? Maybe. Yeah. I need all the points I can get. <laughs> I'll take it under advisement. And I love this. After his retirement from politics, he established himself as a... Hazel agrees. <laughs> he established himself as a gentleman farmer. At his summer residence on Dorseyville Road. And uh, he... Is there a difference between a gentleman farmer and an agricultural farmer? <laughs> I think there technically is. Yes? But I, yeah, I just, that title, that's quite a title. Is he I farming know. tuxedos and <laughs> champagne? I sure hope so. Oh, Freckles wants to know too. Yeah. But this, Beachwood Farms, um, at the time, occupied more than 350 acres on both sides of Dorseyville Road. And it grew, okay, and... (laughs) (laughs) The farm grew? (laughs) And if we fast forward to 1977, 90 acres of this farmland were donated to the Western Pennsylvania Conservancy. And the Conservancy chose the Audubon Society to manage and operate the property as a nature center. Huh. That's how it all came to be. All right. Yeah. 
A what? sanctuary um, for the birds. Mm-hmm. The blue heron. Oh, this blue heron keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Coming back around. Number two. Built in 1872, the Isabella Furnace, a collection of blast furnaces, was located in this neighborhood, operating here until 1953. Etna. You would be correct. Mm. Etna, it is. And it was uh, Carnegie Steel Company that acquired the Isabella in 1901. Mm-hmm. So for the bulk of its tenure, um, it was Carnegie Steel Company. And then, of course, that became U.S. Steel. Oh, I said, of course, again. You always say, of course. Okay. But I will admit that uh, once upon a time, as a, a younger lad, I thought when you said the word tenure, it uh-huh. meant 10 years. No, really? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tenure. Sure. Mm-hmm. I could, yeah. How long you been there? Tenure. <laughs> oh, you have tenure. Oh, you have tenure. Oh, you must have been there 10 years. <laughs> How long does it take you to get tenure? 10 years. <laughs> and if you're in the opera and you need tenure, you could be a tenor with tenure. <laughs> Just take ten years. Oh, <laughs> Back to these furnaces. Sure. But uh, yeah, so they were built by Pittsburgh area manufacturers, among them Chalfont and Company Steelworks, because their businesses were dependent upon pig iron. And they incorporated as the Isabella Furnace Company and built two furnaces and later adding a third. A little bit about pig iron, that term, mm-hmm. in case you're not familiar. So where it gets its name sure. is because of the way that the metal would be cast into ingots. So, you know, you have this hot metal being poured and you had these molds and the way they were laid out, they, they came out from a, like a common runner and... The way the mold was, you had a straight line, and then you had like perpendicular lines, smaller ones going into it, and it apparently resembled a litter of suckling pigs. Like you had the mama pig, and then all the babies, mm-hmm. and so the name, you know, pig iron caught on. Oh, okay. So that, yeah, right there in Etna, for decades, the Isabella. Are you decades re- are the ten years of years. <laughs> How many ten years in, in ten decades? Yeah, so one one decade is a tenure. <laughs> Don, we're already at number three. What is happening? Uh, good things. Yes, good I know. Things, good things, good things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Here we go. The Elmhurst Road Historic District in this neighborhood was designated as such by the Pittsburgh History and Landmarks Foundation in 2007. Hmm. I'm going to return to the Chapel of Foxes for this one. O-M-G, perfect score. (gasps) The the heck you say. (laughs) I do say it. It is Fox Chapel. Hmm. Yeah, okay, so this historic district, the Elmhurst Road Historic District, uh, so this designation, by the way, brings public recognition to the architectural significance of houses on Elmhurst Place, which was originally Elmhurst Road, as you might have put that together, <laughs> and Hampton Road. Uh-huh. 
and they span 100 years of building, the oldest built in 1904, the most recent in 2004. And there are seven of them in particular that stand out, and these seven were built between 1904 and 1925. And the designs of these homes are Austrian, German, British, American craftsmen, and English arts and crafts. And one of the architects involved, Wilbur May, also designed the Aspinwall Women's Club, St. Scholastica Church in 1907, the Montrose School, the Boyd School, and Aspinwall High School. Unfortunately, the only one still standing of those would be the Aspinwall Women's Club, Mm -hmm. which was built in 1926. Uh, But yeah, so that one is still around. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so you have just in that little area there, all these really cool older houses, but all and also just you know showing all these different designs. Yeah, which is pretty neat. That is pretty neat. You know what else is pretty neat? Oh darn it! <laughs> <laughs> you got uh, a perfect score, Don. Oh man, uh-huh. I'm I've become predictable. Yeah. You know what else is predictable? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> well, as always, ah, uh, I thank you for this. <laughs> you are welcome for this. Am I? Do I thank you for this? I, I, don't, know. I don't know. Until next time, Don. Until next time. <laughs> thank you. Welcome. Don, welcome back to the perfect score. And on that note, we will be bringing this episode, episode 68, a.k.a. the Yaramir Yager episode. Penguin fans, you know what I'm talking about. Hockey fans, you know what I'm talking about. He was my favorite when he played for the Penguins. Um, We are going to bring this episode to a close. Again, thank you so much for listening. And again, thank you to Sarah Hussey and to Todd and Elisa Wysong for your time and the wonderful conversations. Listeners, please do be sure to check out our show notes for all the specifics on how to find out more. And yinsaregood at gmail.com. That's where you go to let me know all about the good stuff going on in your life. And I wish you a happy and healthy week ahead And until next time, my friends, be safe, be kind, be good. Special thanks to Don Alexander, Jordan Corcoran, Don DiGiulio, and as always for our fabulous artwork, Mike Rubino. 